Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland. This week we're going to speak with Oliver Willis. He's a regular guest, a media critic, a senior writer for the American Independent. Speaking of media critics, I just I just want to take a, a moment to acknowledge the passing of a really important voice last week, uh, Eric Bollert, who was a semi-regular on this show and on, on my previous shows, was killed in a tragic accident on April 4th. He was hit by a commuter train while riding his bike. Uh, one hopes it was uh, it was quick. My heart goes out to his family, of course. He leaves behind his wife, Tracy Breslin, two children. So also a great loss for those of us trying to hold back the tide of disinformation uh, and lazy punditry and bad conventional wisdom. Eric was very clear-eyed. clear-eyed. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you, we weren't we weren't actual in real life friends, but uh, this one hurt a lot. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that. He was last on the show, I think, uh, in last September. It's been a while. Um, anyway, I want to touch on a few stories out of Texas that you may have missed. They both have to do with Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who is just a Trumpian nut job. By the way, the very wing nutty Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, has been under indictment for felony fraud for five years now. I, it's such a, like, what, what kind of broken country is this, right? He was actually re-elected as the state's highest law enforcement officer while under indictment for felony fraud. And he's managed to kick the charges down the road for all this time. He's changed venues to his hometown it's wild. It's really, it's really wild. And uh, it's easy to forget because he's always going on the offensive. He's always talking about the rule of law while he's under indictment for felony fraud. So, sorry, that was an aside. Um, we're talking about Greg, Greg Abbott, who is a real piece of work. As you know, you may recall that last year, Abbott sent Texas National Guardsmen to the border, to the southern border, where they had absolutely nothing to do. Our border is heavily militarized. It's got a million border patrol. Um, and they had nowhere to go. They were kind of like in this isolated area. According to reports, uh, drug abuse and drinking and driving were big problems among these troops. A number of guardsmen were killed in accidents. Uh, a, a number, unfortunately, died of suicide. It's a it's a mess and all to serve as like a political prop, right? These were political props, people, human beings uh, being used as political props. Well, this week, Abbott sent busloads of undocumented immigrants from Texas, where they presumably have, you know, at least some of them presumably have many of them, jobs and families and are members of uh, communities. Um they sent them, they put them on buses and they sent them to Washington, D.C. and New York City. Uh, just a ridiculous stunt by a ridiculous but belligerent, like, uh, fascist clown. And by the way, those cities are obviously not going to notice a, you know, a few dozen more people. These are big cities with millions of people. This is, this is all for the Fox News crowd. It's, it's, they're, they're generating stories for the Fox News crowd. And the, the historian Rick Perlstein, who's been on the show before, he knows the, actually, I'm not sure if he's been on this show or my previous show, it doesn't matter, but he uh, noticed the similarity to a Jim Crow era stunt called the reverse freedom rides. I had never heard of this. So I Googled it up. There was an article by Leslie Wen Okwu, 
She wrote about these reverse freedom rides. And let me just read a little quote from her piece. The so-called reverse freedom rides were a perverse parody of the more famous freedom rides. Um, when 400 plus riders protested the segregation of interstate travel in 1961. The White Citizens Council devised the reverse freedom rides, a deliberate attempt by white supremacists to get rid of African Americans in the South. What they did was they, <clears throat> they said, oh, we're going to give you a bus ticket and we're going to give you cash and you're going to go up to the North where you're going to be welcomed with open arms and uh, folks up there are going to give you jobs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, back to the piece. The summer campaign, endorsed by the state of Louisiana, soon spread like wildfire and was replicated in Arkansas, Mississippi, and Alabama, with destinations to far-flung urban cities up north. Uh, the council advertised in newspapers and even put up posters outside New Orleans prisons to recruit black inmates near the end of their sentences. Um, they targeted people who were unemployed or had large families, knowing, fully knowing no prospects waited for them on the other side. Meanwhile, cities in the north were left scrambling to deal with all the sudden, sudden arrivals who had nowhere else to go. So as Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Um, this other story is, is less symbolic and more maddening. I shouldn't say symbolic. It's largely symbolic. It's not symbolic for the immigrants who are stuck on buses and shipped across the country. But... Um, Last week, uh, Greg Abbott issued an order increasing state inspections at the Mexican border. And that um, those inspections are, according to reports, snarling commercial truck traffic coming into the U.S. According to Trucking Info, which is an industry publication, and I quote, the April 6th order is part of Abbott's plan to tighten security at the southern border as the Biden administration plans to end a pandemic-related emergency health order that allowed federal officials to turn away migrants, even those seeking asylum. Uh, but the result has been trucks backed up for hours or even days at Texas ports of entry with the ripple effects throughout the supply chain. Now, make no mistake, uh, trucking info may say that this is part of Abbott's plan to tighten security at the border. That's nonsense. This is part of Abbott's plan to use the power of his office, to abuse the power of his office, to create supply chain problems and to increase inflation during an election. That's what this is. And unlike the National Guardsmen stuck at the border or the uh, immigrants who are bused thousands of miles across the country, we're all being hurt by this. All of us, everyone. We're all collateral, collateral damage in Abbott's election year campaign to drive Joe Biden's next agenda, because that's what this is all about. So the right squawks about supply ish, chain issues, they squawk about inflation, and they're intentionally creating this problem. And I'm forced to wonder just how great it would be to live in Texas if clowns like Greg Abbott took governing even half as seriously as they take cooking up stories for the right-wing media to amplify and like owning the wind. It's just all politics. It's just unserious. And this is, this is a result. of If you think government is the problem, then when you get into government, well, you might as well just use it to you know, score petty points. You don't think that it can, it can actually serve uh, your constituents' interests. So you might as well just be a prick. 
And with that, let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll come back with all of the books. Stay tuned. Welcome back. My next guest has been blocked by every New York Times reporter on Twitter. <laughs> maybe. I don't know that that's true. Maybe. Close to it. <laughs> Close to it. Oliver Willis is a relentless media critic, something we need more of, a lot more of. He's a senior writer at the American Independent and also writes on his own site, OliverWillis.com. Oliver, welcome back to We've Got Issues. Thanks for having me. Here's where we are. Um, it is it is April. We've got midterms coming up. Joe Biden has a Negative 10.7 point net approval rating in 538's average. That's the uh, approval rating minus the disapproval rating. That is two and a half points better than Trump was at this point. And he's also been more popular than Trump on every day of his presidency so far. Yeah. Trump was wildly unpopular, something that's easy to forget because you had all those like, ooh, let's interview Trump supporters in, right. a, in a diner, right? Yeah. So like, it's easy to forget that. Most people hated that dude. Um, the GOP has a two point two point lead in the congressional generic ballot average. This is the the poll. Just for listeners who aren't nerds, this is the poll that says if the election was today held today, would you vote for the Republican or the Democrat without naming an actual candidate? Right. So that gives you just a sense of the, where they're leaning. At this point in 2018, the Democrats were up by around eight or nine points. And yet it seems that the media has concluded that Biden is a failed president uh, and also that the Democrats are going to face a just a, an epic bloodbath. Um, and I'm not saying that that isn't a likely scenario, but I think a key factor has been the press coverage of this administration. So in effect, there is a certain degree of like self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. Uh, your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, it was baked in, like, basically, from the minute Biden was sworn in as president, there was this expectation that he was going to fail, you know, and, and the expectations that were laid in front of him were always, you know, he's not getting the Republicans in line to help him do these things. And, you know, as you remember, Josh, like, this is what happened to President Obama, like back in 2009, right? It was the same thing. And and these expectations that they lay out for the Democratic presidents, for, for Obama and Biden, you just didn't have that with George W. Bush. And you definitely didn't have that with Trump. I mean, with Trump, years into his presidency, we still heard from the mainstream media that, oh, well, you know, he's learning He's learning how to do the job. Whereas like with, with President Obama, he didn't have that, you know, and, and Biden even less so because you sort of had this media attitude of, you know, well, he knows the job. He's been in the Senate. He was vice president for eight years. He should know how to do this immediately. 
And it doesn't take into account the fact that the Republican Party has basically gone insane over the last, you know, 25 years. The party has steadily gone more and more into the fevered swamps. Like the, the, the median Republican is more detached from reality than at any point in, you know, American history, really. And so, yeah, I mean, there is a reality that there is a there is a huge problem within the Democratic Party and there's a problem with getting the vote out. And I'm not optimistic, you know, about especially about the House this year. No. But you, you can't discount the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's as if the way that this presidency has been covered is that, you know, you had the starting gate and they're like, well, how come Biden isn't winning? And you're like, well, the race hasn't even started yet and you've already counted him out. So, yeah, you know, I, I, towards that point, I would remind listeners that for, at the very beginning of Biden's presidency, there was this media obsession with his ability to bring people together yeah. and make <laughs> Republicans like him. And, you know, this is in an era of intense partisanship, negative partisanship. We, we hate each other, really. Yeah. It's, it's an impossible thing. And it was a, a campaign promise, right? I mean, that's, it was a flowery thing to say on the campaign trail. Oh, I'm going to bring people together. It wasn't a substantive campaign promise that he was going to be able to make Republicans not act like Republicans, right? Right. And, and, and that's what happened to President Obama, too. You know, you remember the red states and the blue states, the, that whole thing. But, you know, the, 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 the problem that I have with it is that if you look at a lot of Biden's proposals and the policies he supports, they are bipartisan. Because if you poll American people on these things... They do support a lot of these ideas and a lot of Republicans will support it. It's what the press doesn't delineate between is, you know, Joe Blow American on the street who's a Republican, but is not Kevin McCarthy Republican or Marjorie Taylor Greene Republican, who's always going to vote against, you know, whatever Biden or Democrats propose. I mean, you look at the infrastructure, you look at the rescue plan, that stuff is still super popular. Like, I I really don't, you know, I, I cover this at the American Independent. I don't see a lot of people saying, no, I don't want money to retrofit our schools. That's really bad. I hate that. You know, like yeah, there's, there's yeah. not a lot of, you know, people, there's not a lot of people out there saying, uh, I don't want to repair bridges. Repairing bridges sucks. I want to fall into the water with my family. <laughs> like, no yeah. like no one is out there saying that, you know, you, even though you have, you know, the Republicans who mostly voted against these things they're, they're you know, it's, it's not that. Is that your squeaky toy, Oliver? Yes, I know. That's me. That's, that's are you, are you <laughs> Sorry about that. Are you a squeaky toy while you're talking to me? <laughs> now, okay, I, I don't want to. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I, there is a a good reason for the political press to expect Democrats to fare poorly in the midterms. The party in the White House generally does. Um, there's something called the the thermostatic model of politics. It just means that. When when you, people think that the government is getting too active, uh, under which they associate with Democrats, they tend to vote Republican. When they think that, oh, we're going to make too many cuts and government is not getting active enough, ah, they start leaning towards Democrats. That's really the basic um, thermostatic model of politics. And of course, people blame you know the party in, in, in that controls the White House for everything just instinctively. Um, but here's the thing. That is how things function in normal circumstances. And we're we're at this point. We have an energized fascist movement. They are banning books. Um, yeah. We have 
right-wing lawmakers calling the whole gay and lesbian community groomers, which is like a form of, you know, stochastic terrorism, basically. Um, They're banning abortion entirely now in, in some states, including in cases of rape or incest. It is less than two years after a violent insurrection. More information is coming out about that coup attempt. You know, um, if and, and Republicans are letting it be known that if they win the Senate, Joe Biden is likely to not get any more nominees confirmed to the courts. Right. And and, and they're rigging the voting process, too. In, in addition to all of that. <laughs> so, there's, so there's nothing normal yeah. about this moment. So, you know, when you say, oh, well, you know, the the party out of power should do well in the midterms. There's nothing normal about this moment. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing normal about these like ongoing threats to our democracy. And, and I guess, so I, if there's a question in here, to the point my rambling on has a question. <laughs> uh, to what degree do you think treating this like a typical election where you like report on the polling and you, you know, you offer the usual punditry um, that just assumes that it's a normal midterm cycle. To what degree does this kind of whitewash this very dangerous moment in our history. And the, the reason I'm asking this is you hear a lot of like, a lot of conventional wisdom is that voters don't care about democracy issues, but there's nobody raising the alarm. Right. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's as if the house is on, you know, the house is on fire and you're in a room, you know, as a voter, you're in a room where you don't realize that it's on fire. Nobody has said, hey, the house is on fire. And so everyone's like, oh, well, they don't think that the house is on fire when it's still on fire, right? Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I would I would fault, you know, it, this is, it's a two-way problem. It's a media problem in that, like, the media is not reporting on the threat to democracy because in their, you know, like you said, they're acting like this is a normal election and that, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's almost as if it's back to an election where, you know, one party's in favor of higher taxes and lower taxes, and that's it. Like, that's the concrete issue. It's not about, you know, bodily autonomy and people getting literally killed in the streets. It's just about these sort of, not that these aren't important issues, but, you know, tax rates are not exactly the same hot button issue as like, you know, am I going to get shot? Yes. But, but, but the other problem is that, you know, and I'd fault the Democrats at this, they're also acting like this is a normal election right now. And, and I mean, this is sort of a safe place, I think, for a lot of the Democrats is that, you know, Biden sort of represented and people agreed with this. And it made sense, especially at the hottest moments of Trump's presidency. But Biden represented a let's return to normal. Let's go back to, you know, the president is not threatening nuclear war via Twitter every other day. Like, and, and that's a good thing, right? Like, I, you know, I want, I don't want to negate that. Like, that's a good thing that like Biden doesn't, you know, when he gets angry, he isn't out there tweeting like threats at Kim Jong-un. That's a a positive. To have a normal president. I mean, especially with the conflict in Ukraine. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So you know, I like, I you know, I say for myself, like, I don't go to bed every night saying, you know, oh my God, you know, what is the president going to launch a nuclear war because he has an upset tummy? Like, I don't worry about that with Joe Biden and with Donald Trump for four years. Like, literally, the minute he got sworn in, I worried about that every single night. So yes, with Biden, I don't worry about that. But at the same time, like you said, there is this gigantic threat from the right out there, and the media is not raising the alarm bells about it. To be perfectly blunt and honest, like they're spending more time worried about you know their next book talking about Trump and about uh, and about Biden. Like they're not 
really concerned about these issues. And if they do report on these issues, again, it goes into the partisan frame. Like they'll say, you know, both parties are wrangling over, you know, congressional districts. And it's like, yeah, one party is arguing in favor of more people voting and the other one is voting, you know, in favor of people not voting. That's not the same thing. Like those are not proportionally in any universe the same thing. But, you know, the media is tied into its both sides, you know, paradigm, unfortunately. Now, you know, so it's it it really is this maddening reality. You know, there's there's just this hesitancy to um, call this insane, bonkers party, political party, the Republicans, what they are. It's there's a hesitancy to, um, you know, call the, the, the call a coup a coup. Yeah. Um, to what degree is that? Because if you actually tell people what's going on, they're just not going to believe it. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of the problem, too. You know, we found over the years that when you tell people what Republicans and conservatives actually stand for, people say, nah, that couldn't really be it. Nah, you're just exaggerating. You know, I, I in my personal life, I can tell you, I have friends that are not really you know, deep into politics. And when I explain to them, I live in Florida, and I explain to them the don't say gay law. And they literally were like, well, no, that that's not really is it. it can it be? And I'm like, no, 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 that's really what it is. Like, and I'm like, you know, they're, they're talking right now about Disney World being a front for pedophiles. And you're like, well, no, that's just an extremist saying that. And I'm like, no, these are mainline Republicans saying this. This isn't this isn't the, the fevered swamps. This is no longer Alex Jones territory. This is, you know, standard congressional representative territory. And yeah, it's that that is a problem, I think. I mean, I would say to the mainstream media, get over it and just <laughs> like get over this this fear of being rejected this way and re- report on the news, regardless of how what the reaction is. But yeah, they have to pri- they they are pricing that in into their coverage. In that, if they report on the Republicans accurately, people will say, "Ah, you're making it up." So yeah, yeah. that is a problem. I mean, there's there's I have a hard time really wrapping my head around this lack of urgency coming from Democrats and. Uh, you know, again, we're in these are terrifying times. I'm seriously like looking at the possibility of maybe leaving the country if if um, things go badly in the next two election cycles. And I'm not kidding about that. Um, you know, at some point, I don't want to live in it. I don't want I don't want to live in a place where um, they have open carry with no licensing requirements. Yes, yeah, no sure. requirements or something like that. The Supreme Court is probably going to make that, you know, a nationwide thing. There's a very good likelihood of that. Um, I, I don't know what a, another Trump term would would result in. I can only imagine how terrifying it would be to have them be less disorganized. They're going to be pre- better prepared to move uh, a neo-fascist agenda forward. Again, I don't think that's hyperbolic at all. No. Uh, but let me ask you this. I find this hesitancy by the Democrats... Like, I'm dissatisfied with the idea that it's just because their leadership are all 100 years old, right? What is it? What do you think is, is have they just internalized the idea that they are always at risk of alienating vast swaths of America? Yeah, I, I, think, Democrats? I think that's a big part of it. I think, and it's a really strange sort of thing, because if you look at the last few elections, right, I mean... Republicans have the, the only time Republicans have won a majority in a presidential election in the last, what, 30 years was 2004. 
And yet, when Republicans win these elections, these presidential elections, where most people voted against their candidate, remember 2016, most people voted for Hillary Clinton. In 2000, most people voted for Al Gore. And yet the party governs as if they have these sweeping, gigantic majorities. You know, they they act as if like, you know, even the Northeast all voted for them when we all know that that's not true. And then on the flip side, you have the Democrats who have consistently won most votes in most presidential elections, certainly in my lifetime. And yet when they govern, they act as if, you know, they've only been given this this little bit of a, a little sliver of power. And it, it, it's this fear of, I think part of it, you know, I've talked about it on my Twitter feed, but they, they sort of act like, you know, they have this power and they need to conserve it and hold it in a little box And we can't use it all at once because then they, whoever they are, the Republicans, the public, et cetera, will take it away. And so then they sort of moderate themselves because a lot of the times, you know, the Republicans pull themselves. I mean, the Democrats pull themselves back and it's not even from Republican pushback. It's internally. And you're like, why are you guys restraining yourselves so much? You, You haven't even had the backlash yet. And they get in their own heads worried about this backlash. Sometimes for things that never even come, you know, like I, I, you know, I I supported a lot of his policies, but like going back to President Obama, look at don't ask, don't tell. Right. And you remember, like he could have gotten rid of that super early in his presidency. But there is all this concern about, oh, there's you know, we have to study it. And yes, the polls are in our favor, but we have to look at this issue and take our time and move towards it eventually. And then when he did it, what happened? Nobody cared. It was fine. Like the the people that cared were the people that it affected who could serve them in the military in their country. And everyone was just sort of cool with it. And that happened with gay marriage, too. And so I think a lot of the time the Democrats get in their own heads about these things and they come from this position of like, you know, America doesn't really agree with us. America is more like Fox News, whereas Republicans they also think America is like Fox News. And we're wrong. <laughs> and we're wrong. That's the funny part. Like both parties think America is like Fox News and both parties are wrong. Like, you know, I'm not going to say that like America is this super left wing place, but no, it's it certainly isn't. more progressive than, you know, Sean Hannity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and on a lot of issues, I mean, it is it, it leans towards the Democratic positions on many issues and many of these culture war issues, which you would not know, yeah. um, you know, if, if you kind of scan the 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 headlines on any given day. Um, here's a question that I have for you. We're going to take a break in a second, but I just want to ask you this. So. Let's say that over the next couple of months, we get past this wave of uh, COVID. And um, let's say that inflation slows, uh, the cost of gas comes down. And let's say that Donald Trump endorses a bunch of completely bonkers candidates which in, he has <laughs> in midterm races, and they win, and they win the GOP primary. So the, the GOP has a bunch of awful candidates um, running, and let's say that the Democrats maybe hold the Senate and the House. What happens after two years of telling people who are already steeped in conspiracy theories about the last election being stolen? What happens when those people? Uh, are are told for two years that it's going to be a red tidal wave and that there's no chance and, you know, Republicans are measuring the drapes. What happens? 
What happens if that happens? Yeah, I mean, that's that's almost a scarier scenario than them actually winning, right? Because they've proven in the past that they are extremely violent. I mean, they literally stormed the U.S. Capitol, which, you know, it's still a year later, a year and a half later, still sounds like an extremely insane thing to have said that happened, but it did happen. And I think that even a situation like that can maybe end up looking a lot more peaceful than what could happen if the scenario that you laid out, which, you know, granted is a rosy scenario for the Democrats, does pan out because they've been told, I mean, they believe that they won, you know, like there was a book out, frankly, I did win the election by a lot. They literally believe that the whole last election was stolen from them. And, you know, the coverage at the time was more of a toss up race. So for, for if, their entire system gets shattered in the next few months. I mean, like I said, that's almost scarier than if they actually win. I mean, the scariest scenario is them winning and being to kind of go buck wild in control of the government. Like that's yeah. the worst case scenario. But yes, it is. You know, but scenario B isn't much better. Like that that is a terrifying prospect because it's a lot of armed people who think that the government has been stolen from them and who have have, have already shown no compunction about killing people like literally killing people and it, it it all sounds crazy to say in america and you know i i fault again the media and the democrats for not communicating to av- the average person that this is a real threat out there you know like yeah. if it happens people are gonna like be shocked when they shouldn't be shocked they should be prepared and these people are not only steeped in conspiracy theories about the last election um they believe that elections are have been stolen repeatedly oh yeah election fraud is is widespread and if we step back it's also in the context of uh a a largely white group demographic group that has also been told that their jobs and uh status are being taken from them right by people of color and immigrants and etc for their whole lives, right? That's right. the I mean, kind of yeah, like they, defining yeah, they, message in right-wing media. Yeah, they've been told this for years and years. You know, I told people, I said, this stuff does not come about spontaneously when you no, hear... No, it does not. Yeah, when you hear conservative media and conservative politicians pandering to this mindset, this is a... And it's, I'm not even saying like it's some sort of, you know, secretive plan that they put together. It's just a constant message that has been pounded into the head of conservatives for the last 60 plus years that, you know, the blacks, the browns are coming for your jobs, they're coming for your family, they're coming after you, you know, gay people are coming for your kids. Like they've been told this, you know, this whole panic that they're currently whipping up right now, the whole grooming thing, that's not new. I mean, you know, when, when you and I were that younger, so not new. Yeah, that when you so and I were new. younger, we saw these things in the late 80s and early 90s, for God's sakes. That's 30, 40 years ago. None of this is new. It's just they re- they renew it over and over again, and they can activate these ideas in people because they know that these folks that support them, they want to blame somebody. And conservative politics is very good at saying them, the people that don't look like you, that don't love like you, they're the ones to blame for you being upset about things. They're really good at that, unfortunately. Yeah, they are. And I, I'll say this, um, you know, just getting back to the the Democrats being afraid of their own shadow, the 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 one kind of kernel of truth in their uh, their unnecessary, like the, one of the, a a proper reason to be in a defensive crouch is that you know there is this sprawling. Um, propaganda infrastructure on the right that certainly does not exist on the left. Nothing like it exists on the left. And you and I have both been in progressive media, and it just there. It these are like it's, the yeah, asymmetries are stunning. 
stuff. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. We got everything you want, hun. You know the names. We are the people that can find whatever you may need. If you got no money, honey, we got your disease in the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. What you bring it to your Welcome back. We're speaking with Oliver Willis this week. Uh, Oliver, polls show that Americans have an overwhelmingly negative view of the economy, despite the fact that the United States has generated more jobs since the beginning of last year than in any similar period in our entire history. Unemployment is down to 3.6%, I think. Uh, Wages are also growing at the lower end of the uh, income ladder very fast, faster than inflation, by the way, which is kind of the obsession of the media. Inflation is outpacing um, wage growth for people, you know, more affluent people, but not for like service workers, not for the people who've been screwed by this economy for decades. They are, they are doing extremely well relative to past periods. I'm not going to say they're doing extremely well because this is America. Um, Polls find that either a plurality or a majority of Americans believe we've lost jobs over the past 20 months, that we've lost jobs. Whose fault is that disconnect? I mean, it's, again, it's one of those things where there's not any quick slam dunk answer, to be honest. Like, uh, I would say, you know, in order, I would say, number one, uh, the press has not communicated the improvement in the economy uh, very clearly. Like, I mean, I've seen people post comparisons of, you know, the unemployment drop under Biden versus how the unemployment drop. Uh, under Trump was covered. And, you know, under Trump, it's things are going great, everyone. It's awesome. And, you know, no indication that a lot of that was inherited from Obama. And then under Biden, it's like, you know, disappointing jobs numbers, uh, unemployment down another 2%. You know, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's kind of how it's been covered. Then I would, you know, I would fault the Republican Party because uh, we, you know, some of my fellow reporters at the American Independent have written stories talking about how Republicans hailed certain job numbers under Trump. And, you know, they talked about, like, this is a golden age for America. And under Biden, they either don't say anything about the exact same, you know, improvement in the unemployment picture, or they talk about, you know, Biden flooding the border and how no one can get a turkey for Thanksgiving and how all your (laughs) your Christmas presents are, you know, a million dollars and all the store shelves are bare because Biden, you know, locked up the ports. Never mind that we're going through a global pandemic and, you know, <laughs> dealing with, you know, supply chain issues that stem to even before the pandemic and certainly occurred under Trump. Like, you know, you, a lot of time you couldn't get toilet paper under Trump. And then the, the third part of it is Democrats, I would say, you know, I, I'm not saying that like there's anything really to be admired from Donald Trump, but I have a philosophy of, Look at what the bad guys are doing. Look at the techniques that are working for them. And if you can apply that to the truth and have it work for you, go for it. And I think one of the most effective things Donald Trump did in his presidency was brag about things. And now, granted, when he would brag about something, it was completely made up. It was a total lie. Yes. But, it, but it was effective, right? It was very effective. You know, I, I one of the examples I, I use, I, I don't remember the specifics of it, but you know, there was some appropriations to send money to an airport somewhere. And Trump tweeted it out. And it was just this obscure thing where like, 
you know, the government does this all the time, sends a million dollars to do airport repairs somewhere. But it was an effective way of saying, look at what my government is doing for you. We're, we're improving the airport, you know, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You know, in his weird hyperbolic style, I'm not saying Biden should tweet things out like that. <laughs> but if you look at what President Biden and Democrats have accomplished through the rescue plan and the investment, the uh, infrastructure plan, it's literally sending out millions of dollars all over the country. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong or false with saying if Biden says tomorrow, you know, I did a story this week for The Independent talking about there's millions of dollars being appropriated all over the country right now to fight homelessness. What would be so wrong if Biden said, great, I'm sending out money to fight homelessness. I love it. Don't you think that's a good thing, America? And especially his base of voters, folks like you and me love that kind of stuff, because guess what? Helping the homeless is really popular. <laughs> it makes people feel better about what the government is actually doing and, you know, go back to the economy and jobs. Like if he tweets out, you know, if he sends out a press release or he goes on TV or he has, you know, Democratic representatives. I mean, there's several hundred of them right now in Washington, like make some noise about how much better the economy is. And you don't have to downplay you know, wage and income disparities, you address it, you say, hey, you can, you know, you do the thing that President Obama did for a long time and said, we can always do better, but things are getting better. And that I think people will take that in because people are not looking at, you know, economic data and, and examining for themselves. Average person is not doing that. But people are busy. They don't have time to do all of that. I've also noticed this kind of like savvy thing that they'll say, oh, well, look, the administration is blaming Ukraine, blaming Vladimir Putin for inflation as if that's a false statement, you know, as if there's nothing to that. Or they'll say, oh, look, the administration is out touting the jobs numbers as if that's illegitimate, right? Right. Right. Like, which which was which is something that every every politician ever in the history of the United States has. But we ever also done. just had this ridiculous braggart. Right. In, I mean, like, what the fuck? To what degree are reporters just compensating for? I mean, you know, Trump was objectively one of the two or three worst presidents in our history. We I don't want to debate, you know. Yeah, where he stands, but one of the worst, objectively. Right. He's in the bottom five. <laughs> he's definitely in the bottom three. Yeah, I mean, he's for definitely sure. in the bottom three. You know, yeah. we can all debate those last three. But <laughs> um, to what degree do you think reporters are just trying to show that their accurate coverage of what a fucking awful president he was was not a result of liberal bias by being just as just as tough on Joe Biden, a normal president? Right. And and that's a big part of it, too. You know, you go back to you talk about whether these are, you know, well laid plans. Well, conservatives have spent the last 60 years complaining that the the media is, you know, biased to the left. And a lot of reporters, even younger reporters who haven't been around for that time, have internalized this this criticism. And so, yeah, like, you know, when they reported on perfectly true stories about things that Trump said, you know, when he was talking about like, you know, uh, was it buying Greenland or something like that? And like, this is stuff that really happened. We all know it happened. Like, you know, and even just reporting on, you know, I did this at the independent, like reporting on just stuff he said about, you know, birds hurting windmills. Right. And conservatives would come back to them and say, Oh, you're, you're liberally biased. You're liberally biased for reporting on these things. And like, they were just reporting on what really happened. So I think they internalize a lot of these things. So now that Biden is president, you know, I, I said, I, I joked about this. I said, fact checkers are going to be bored because, you know, you, you go from saying 
you know, tree and uh, uh, birds do not hurt windmill production to, you know, like a fact check of Biden is like uh, Biden misstated unemployment figures by 0.3% difference. And, you know, it's not the same level of severity, but if you report it even proportionally, like it's the same level of severity to the standard audience, it's like, ah, well, they're all liars. See, because Biden lied about, you know, 0.3% and Trump said that, you know, that, you know, the economy was the best ever in the history of mankind when he was president. Yeah, both are the same thing. And if you report them with the same severity, because you have this internalized fear of a conservative pylon, which is what conservative criticism does to a lot of these reporters, like, it's the one area where you might find myself a little more sympathetic to mainstream reporters, because they do get piled on, like, in a way that doesn't happen with, you know, liberal criticism, to the same extent, you know, they, they get, you know, harassing phone calls and they get Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson every night, like literally putting them on air and telling their audience, go get them. And they, and they know that their audiences do that. They know that and they do that on purpose. Right. And so they have when you hit enter to publish a story as a mainstream reporter at any outlet, you know that you're going to get a blowback for it. And the blowback is going to be a thousand times worse from the right than the left. And that's that's just the truth. And so you know, they compensate for that a lot of the time, unfortunately, and the news consumer gets screwed in the process because you get a skewed vision of things that both parties are equally unhinged when, you know, if you take the screwiest 10 Democrats, they would be moderate milquetoast Republicans. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, the one of the things that just drives me crazy consistently is that you have something like defunding the police, which is an activist slogan. There are maybe five or six members of Congress, elected officials in Congress, who have embraced that. Only five or six. And that yeah. becomes something that it becomes a major issue for the party. And if you look at Congress, I believe there are significantly more Republicans in favor of repealing the 17th Amendment and getting rid of popular elections for senators than there are Democratic elected officials who have come out on record as saying they're for defunding the police. For sure. I mean, there's... there's and you no, never hear about those fringe positions. Right, just, right. It's and, never and, held and, against them. And this is, this is, I think, you know, again, it's a media slash the Democrats issue where the media knows about these, these fringe Republican positions and doesn't elevate them to the same level as, you know... That would be liberal bias. If yeah. You, if you said this is this is something that's common in the Republican Party, right. because this party is full of cranks and <laughs> conspiracy, that's liberal bias. So you can't right. do it. Right. And then you uh. take a position like defund the police. I mean, you you literally have had President Biden say, "Let's fund the police." Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Flat out multiple times, but Biden has said, "I am not for defunding the police." You look at his budget, and his budget is. Give lots of money to the police. And I mean, yes, he talks about, you know, utilizing that budget in different ways, but yeah. he's not defunding the police. And yet what it, what comes up, you know, well, the Democrats, they support defunding the police. And you're like, <laughs> no. madness. and part of that is also just about message discipline on the right. Yeah. If you repeat something again and again and again and again, it takes on a, an air of truth, even though even though it may be complete bullshit. And I should take this moment as my usual aside that defunding the police is a slogan um, that is unpopular as a slogan, but the underlying policy it refers not to taking things away from people, but reallocating a portion of police budgets to stand up non-police first responders. That is actually very popular when you explain it to people, and it's a good policy. So, right. I mean, and I, and I would argue just need to throw that out there. Yeah, and I would argue, you know, 
it's not a popular slogan. And I would charge the Democrats. I say, come up with a popular slogan to explain this issue to people instead of they, I think the Democrats unfortunately have spent more time running away from defund, you know, and let's say, let's say you take the most negative view of the, 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 the slogan. So come up with something better. Like, yeah. you know, like, you came up with build back better, whether you like it or not, that is caught on. People know what you mean when you say it, you know, like I, 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 you know, people a lot of times say, Oh, Democrats can't market Democrats can't market. And I'm like, well, sorry, but <coughs> the party that has won the majority of the votes in the last few presidential elections knows something about marketing when they actually try Dude, to do it. Listen, just call it safer streets. Yeah. Something. Like, it's right. not complicated. Just call it safer streets. That'd right. be like, what we mean by safer streets is having non-police first responders so that you don't always have to call the police on homeless people and that frees up police to do police work. To right. fight and, and it also puts the other side in a bad position because then you can right. say, are you again safer streets? Right. right. You know, <laughs> you like more dangerous streets. <laughs> this is so simple. It's such yeah. simple shit. And it, it, it is, it is maddening that they can't do it. Let me ask you this. Um, I'm going to get back to the economy because I think this is a big, this is a big issue as we yeah. go into the midterms. Some of the dumbest people in America have been arguing that inflation <laughs> is not being driven by continuing supply issues resulting from the pandemic, uh, the war in Ukraine, um, various other problems, the, uh, the sanctions against Iran, thanks to our pulling out of the uh, nuclear agreement. And insisting that it is, in fact, a result of unspecified, always unspecified, liberal policies of the Biden administration. Here's my question. Have you seen a report about inflation in the legacy media that includes the rather important context that inflation is a major issue in Europe, in Asia, in Latin America, etc.? That it's a global issue. Because I feel like I may have seen this mentioned in the 17th paragraph as an aside, but it's never framed. No, as no, it, here's it, this global problem. Right. It's it's always framed, and and this is the you know <laughs> the sort of horse race problem. It's always framed as a Joe Biden problem. It's never framed as a you know this is an issue that Macron and Boris Johnson are also dealing with in their countries, right? But it's always framed as inflation is up, and this is a problem for Joe Biden because X Y Z, and, then, <laughs> and, and, and right, and then and then it sort of says you know then it regurgitates. The Republican complaints about it, and you can say that you know this is a Republican message discipline combined with, to be perfectly blunt, media laziness about these things. And so, you know, this is the narrative that gets out there. Now, you know, I've seen some things, you know, where Biden talks about you know the the gas prices going up, and he says the Putin price hike. And you know, regardless of what you want to look at the underlying you know issues behind all of these problems, like here's here's the bottom line. Sloganeering works. And I feel like a lot of Democrats and liberals don't want to accept that sloganeering about things works because they feel that marketing is inherently dirty. And yes. to that I say, yes, we can. Yes, right. Right? right? I mean, that, that to me, that, you know, or it's the economy, stupid, if you want to go back, <laughs> if you want to go back to the old school, you know, like, I'm sorry, but successful liberal slash democratic figures have used sloganeering. They don't do it nearly as often as the right does, but I'm sorry, it can work for us just fine. And it doesn't have to be a lie. Sloganeering doesn't mean it's a lie. When President Obama said, yes, we can, that wasn't a lie. It's like, yeah, we can do all these things. Like those were the God's honest truth. Like you can check the facts all you want. You do a fact check of it. 
and it comes through with flying colors. So yeah, the sloganeering, it permeates the media and you look at, you know, there's a lot of issues with the media where they go for the easy story and, you know, media resources, except at the very tippy top, you know, your New York Times, your Washington Post, but for most media outlets, resources are stretched thin. Like a lot of the local media that's reporting on things, it's a bare bones staff at this point. They're not going to dig into a Republican's claims that, you know, like you said, unspecified spending has led to inflation increase. They're just going to slap that quote in a story. Right. Like they're not going to do a fact check of it in real time. Like it's just not going to happen. So what can you do to negate this? I mean, you know, yes, we can hope for a better media. Like, great. I mean, you know, long term, that would be awesome. But we have to deal with the world as is right now. And the world as is right now is that you have to just say stuff like say things. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of people, a lot of liberals, a lot of Democrats are in this kind of rationality trap where they believe that. You know, they've internalized the message that the media has a liberal bias. They think, oh, well, the facts are on our side. So yeah. we don't have to. It'll just work. Our way. It'll all work out. And I, I don't know why that persists, given what we've seen in front right. of our faces uh, again and again and again. But um, it, you have to it, lead the public. It does persist. You have to you have to you have to point people in the right direction have to point people in the right direction. Oliver Willis, I believe we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. One of my favorite guests. Always a pleasure to have you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'd also like to thank David Edwards, our producer and engineer. I'd like to thank the good folks at Alternate and Raw Story for supporting the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joshua Hall, H-O-L. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, I would like to thank all of you fine and discerning people for tuning in. Have a terrific week. I don't-